I want to be an apostolic Pentecostal in the 21st century. I'm, I, I'll be honest, I, I'm not trying to be ugly. Don't mean to be rude, but I, I don't want dead, boring church. Uh, that's not going to change anybody. That's not going to help anybody. The truth of the matter, we need a move of the Holy Ghost. And we need God to work. Well, if we want to be a life-changing, dynamic, apostolic, Pentecostal church, then we ought to probably go back to the foundation and see what they have to say about it. So that's what we're doing. Okay? And we went through chapter 1, chapter 2, and we talked about the foundation of the church, the birth of the church. And so we'll go to Acts chapter 3, and again, I'm going to be mindful of the time, but my goal tonight, and don't anybody, my wife got scared when I said this, we're going through two chapters tonight. Okay? It sounds worse than it really is. Okay? Because these two chapters are very closely connected. Okay? So don't, don't leave. Don't get upset. We're going to go somewhere tonight, okay? The Bible says, Acts chapter 3, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. This chapter is a segue from the birth of the church. Now it makes it sound like it's immediately following the day of Pentecost. We're not 100% sure on that, but several commentators will tell us that there's a space, many believe, of about three years from the day of Pentecost to Acts chapter 3. So when Acts 2 ends, praising God and having favor with all the people, the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. That was a, 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 a period to the birth of the church, but there was, there was more that happened. It was summed up in one verse, what God did. And then the Holy Ghost began to move on Luke to write about a specific event that took place. And it's a very important event because it gives a segue from the birth of the church to the, the, the acts of the church, okay? Here, Peter and John, these two uh, apostles, we're very much aware of who these men are. Peter, that man that preached on the day of Pentecost, the same guy that denied Jesus three times, is hanging out with John, who is also called the Beloved. This is the same guy that, that, that Jesus was really close with. In fact, he would eventually become John the Revelator. He would write the Gospel of John, and he would write the letters of John and the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ while exiled on the Isle of Patmos. Here these men have gone to a time of prayer. The Bible says that it is a specific time, an hour of prayer at about the ninth hour, which just for you, your Bible trivia is about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. This is a scheduled set prayer time. This is one of several prayer times. The third hour or about 9 o'clock in the morning. The sixth hour about noon. And the, the ninth hour, which would be 3 o'clock in the afternoon, were set prayer times in the temple. And so Orthodox Jews would go and they would pray. And notice they don't go. The Bible does not say that they went at the morning offering or the morning sacrifice or the evening sacrifice, but that it was at a time of prayer. You see, these men understood we don't need those sacrifices anymore. Jesus paid it all. And so they've come now to discuss and to, to, or to pray with people that they love, they respect, they, they've grown up with. They're there to pray. But really they're also coming with an intent to let them know that Jesus is the answer. So the Bible says that with that in mind, these men are walking to the temple and they're 
A certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple which is called Beautiful to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple asked an alms. We see our victim so to speak. This man has laid daily at the gate of the temple for the Lord only knows how long. We know and you'll see it again tonight that he's about 40 years of age. So for the vast majority of his adult life, no doubt he has been laid at the gate called Beautiful. Now that is a very telling place. Luke is very careful to tell us where this location is. The gate called Beautiful was a mighty big uh, bronze gate. It was said to be more beautiful than even the gates plated with gold and silver. This was a beautiful entry. And in fact, it was the major entry point into the temple for everyone to come. Now I say that very, very uh, emphatically. I want you to know I'm very detailed here because I can't tell you exactly how many times it happened. But I'm willing to bet, if I were a betting man, that Jesus himself went right through this gate. Let me say it like this. That means that if our... Our our, our suspect here, our victim here, our lame man at the gate is laying here. He's seen Peter and John before. In fact, he's seen them with a man by the name of Jesus. Now he he may not know all the details surrounding Jesus and he may not know all the details surrounding these men but he knows something is different about these men. Okay? With that being said, he sees Peter and John and he asks an alms. He is asking them for a little charity to help him survive another day. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. Something stops Peter. And he's not, this is not the first time he's been through the gate called Beautiful. Something stops Peter and he says, Wait a minute. You're asking us for something, but I need you to give heed. I need you to look on us and pay attention to what's about to happen. And the Bible says that this man gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. His response, his his remark to this lame man brought about a little smidgen, if you will. That's not a technical term, but a, a little smidgen of hope in this man. When he said, look on us... He gave heed. He said, you know what? These guys are up to something. Maybe I'm going to get a blessing good enough to go home today. He gave heed expecting to receive something of them. And then something totally changes here. What he expects it doesn't happen. Peter said, verse 6, Silver and gold have I none. I know that's what you're asking. But such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. The Bible tells us that he took him by his right hand, lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he leaping up stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. That right there was a miraculous moment in the book of Acts. In fact, it is the first miracle of healing recorded in the book of Acts. It is the first miracle of healing recorded in your Bible since the ascension of Jesus Christ. (coughs) Understand, these men have seen Jesus do this, 
But they have never done this before. They've seen Jesus do this, but they have never put their hand on someone and seen them healed like this. Everybody with me? It is an incredible shift in the church. And it's exactly what Jesus was trying to get his disciples to understand in Mark when he told them that these signs shall follow them that believe. That's exactly what Jesus was trying to communicate when he told his disciples in John, greater works than these shall ye do. I want to stop right here and go ahead and let you know that if the church in Acts chapter 3 saw miracles, signs, and wonders, it is absolutely not only important or or, or possible, it is imperative that you and I see miracles today. I'm going to make a statement here. Lord, help me because I may get run out of town. But if you and I don't see miracles in in our church, if we don't see miracles in our lives, we might as well go change the sign. Because we cannot be Pentecostal or apostolic if there are not signs and wonders in the church. I understand the greatest miracle our world can ever see is a lost soul being filled with the Holy Ghost, having their sins washed away in baptism after repenting of their sins. I know that. I know that the reconciliation of man with divinity is the greatest miracle. But there ought to still be a demonstration. There ought to still be a demonstration of the Spirit in the book of Acts 2.0. If we're going to be apostolic, we ought to see God work. We ought to see God heal. We need to see God move in a mighty way. And if we're not, then we need to find a prayer room. We need to push back a plate. We need to figure out what the problem is because God's not dead today. Amen. God's still a healer. God's still a way maker. I know, I know. We've buried them. I understand. COVID's taken a lot of a lot of saints. I understand. We've had funerals. I understand that happens. I get it. I'm not I'm not naive to reality today, but I am very much in understanding that God is still a God of miracles and we can expect it in the 21st century. The healing was complete. The healing was absolutely instantaneous. It wasn't a go home, wait 40 days, and let the doctor fix it. I'm not against that. I thank God every time he works through doctors. But I'll go ahead and tell you, I still believe in instantaneous, miraculous healing. And here's the key. Verse number 9 is the, really the crux here. The Bible says, it's a short verse, you'll, you'll miss it if you, don't, if you don't slow down a little bit. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. These Orthodox Jews who had come to serve a do a religious ritual looked up and saw a man that they knew who had his own miracle. And they knew that it was he which had set for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wandering. You want to know why God does miracles? 
I thank God for every miracle. And I do think God does miracles at times just to bless his people. But the real reason is not just so you and I get chill pumps and say we had good church. The real reason that the Lord works miracles on the earth today is so that the, the world around us can see that we serve a great, big God. Uh, again, I, I don't want to... I want to make sure our focus is right here. Miracles are not meant to build a church as much as they are to save a soul. A miracle is not to make the preacher look like he's somebody special. It's really to see a soul saved. It's not that more people give. No, no, that's not the reason miracles happen. The reason miracles happen is so that people can give God glory. It's so people get a revelation. I saw him that was lame walk again. I saw it. I was there the day that so-and-so got up out of a wheelchair or so-and-so was healed of cancer. That's why people are, are, are able to see miracles today. And that's why you and I have got to see miracles today. It's not so we can look at us like we're some superhuman, super spiritual guru. No, my friend, we're here to touch God so that people can see there is a God who loves them. There is a God who can save them. Hey, there's some folks that have done some crazy stuff in this world. And they need to see a God that if God, see a God that if he's able to heal cancer, maybe he can heal my soul. If he can take care of diabetes, just maybe he can take my past and make it new again. Amen. We need a God. We need to show them a God that's able to work. So all of this has happened. They've seen this miracle. The people have gathered together. The multitude have come together. And this is what takes place. Peter saw it. He answered unto the people. Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? It's kind of going back to chapter 2. Why are you looking at this? Why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us? As though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk. He's asking them, you think we did this? This is the same guy that just a few years ago had denied that he even knew who Jesus was. And now he's saying, you think I did this? Guys, you are, you're really missing it tonight. I can't do this. And this is what he explains. The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom he delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murder to be granted unto you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. What's he saying here? He said, you know that God that you come in here to pray to, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the God of our fathers, the God of the Old Testament, we'll call him Jehovah. Actually, I can't call him Jehovah because that's been outlawed, so I'll call him Adonai. That's what he's saying here. You know that God that we serve? Let me tell you, that God has taken this man whom we know, this Jesus whom we know, whom we were... We, we walked with and, and ate dinner with and, 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 and were around for three days. He's made that guy the Messiah, the Holy One and the Just, the one that you thought was just a, a, another a, a religious nut. No, he's the one that has been raised from the dead. Now that's important here. Peter goes back to his notes in Acts chapter 2 and says, and by the way, you're the one that killed him. It's your fault. Talk about winning friends and influence people. It's your fault. But here's the thing, guys. This is what he's saying. His name, 
through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom ye see and know. You know this guy. Let me tell you, the reason he's walking today is because we have faith that his name holds all power. And the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Peter looks at the multitude and says, I want you to know the reason this cat's standing here is because we prayed in the name of Jesus. And then he goes on. Now, brethren, I wot that through ignorance ye did it as did your rulers. He said, I know you killed the guy, but I think you did it ignorantly. Now, he's not being ugly. He didn't say they were stupid. He said they were ignorant. Ignorance is a lack of knowledge. Stupid means you're incapable of learning. That's important because there's a lot of things you and I have done ignorantly. Amen. But the good news is, is that there's hope for ignorant folk. Y'all not hearing me. That'll preach right. Some of y'all need to take a lap right there. Because I've done stupid stuff. I've been ignorant when it comes to living for God at times. But God looked through my ignorance just like he looked through the people of God in Acts 3 and said, I know you've been ignorant, but let me explain. Let me give a little revelation to you. Amen? Those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he has fulfilled. He said, I know you did this ignorantly and there was nothing you could have done about it because it had been prophesied that he would be wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace would be upon him and with his stripes we would be healed. But Peter gives a remedy to their situation. He says, repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. I'm thankful today that I can, I can have my sins blotted out. My mistakes, my ignorant carcass can be saved today by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? He says, He shall send Jesus which before was preached unto you whom the heaven must receive into the times of restitution of all things which God hath spoken by the mouth of all His holy prophets since the world began. Now again, he's referencing Old Testament prophecy. And he's reminding them, hey, you still have a space to repent until Jesus comes back. Now, let's go back to chapter 1 very quickly. I won't take about two seconds here. But may I remind you that this is perfectly the foundation, the motto of the church. I'm not going to worry. I'm a witness. I've got power. Because Jesus is coming back. You see, the, you see, the, you were going back. He said, I'm not going to worry about this. Jesus is the one that can do this. I know he's coming back, and so I'm going to be a witness of him. Amen? So that's exactly what's happening here. For Moses, verse 22, truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me. Him shall ye hear all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. It shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet, shall be destroyed from among the people. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days. Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made our father, saying unto Abraham, In thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Unto you first God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. What 
Peter is preaching here is he's pulling again Old Testament prophecy and he's reminding, hey guys, this Jesus that you crucified, he's the Messiah that's been prophetically foretold. We've already knew, we knew about him coming in. And guess what? He was given to you first to be blessed and to know what true life is. That's the message that Peter preaches in Acts 3. And as verse or chapter 4 starts, as they spake unto the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they, notice this, taught the people and preached, everybody say, through Jesus. They preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in the hole until the next day, for it was now even tide. We're at the end of the day. They've been preaching. They've taught the people. And they've preached through Jesus the resurrection. Those are key phrases because, first of all, when you see the phrase that they taught the people, the the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, didn't feel like these common fishermen had the right and the authority to teach these people. And so these religious leaders stepped in and said, hey, you can't teach in the temple like this. And then, notice this, he says that they have preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now, the Pharisees have no problem with the dead resurrection. No problem whatsoever. They don't. You know what they have a problem with? Jesus. The Sadducees don't believe in a resurrection, but they really don't. They've been arguing the resurrection for hundreds of years. That's not the issue. But the issue is they preached that this could happen in Jesus. Amen? This is key. This is key. Because the entirety of the book of Acts is based on the fact that these people believe that the name of Jesus is the key. Amen? I'm going to set y'all up for a little bit later in in this. And y'all already know the answer to it, but I'm going to set it up anyway. The name of Jesus is not just a part of the book of Acts or an, an appendix to the book of Acts or an amendment to the book of Acts. The name of Jesus is the focal point of the book of Acts. I think I've got a buddy helping me. Thank God for Grayson. He's learning. Amen. 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 We're going to keep going though. Amen. Somebody might need a helper. If he takes off running across us, we'll just see how many of y'all it takes. I'll start counting. But here's what happened in Acts 4 and 4. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed. Now this is a good, this is an incredible segue. Many of them which heard the word believed. In fact, the number was about 5,000. All of a sudden, something shifts in the minds of these people and they realize wait a minute, this Jesus is more than a carpenter from Nazareth or a religious uh, reformer. He is something that we've been waiting for. He's the Messiah. 5,000 men were filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost in that day, in that service. Ladies and gentlemen, numbers do matter. Well, glory. Numbers do matter. It is okay for God, whether it's five or 5,000, God wants to pour out His Spirit in a mighty way. Verse number 5 tells us, kind of flips over to the next day, it came to pass on the morrow that the rulers, elders, and scribes, and Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have ye done this? Now it's time 
for the religious leaders to give. Uh, they want to interrogate and give an interview as to why all of this happened. What was the secret? What did you do here? How was it that you were able to see this man receive his healing? And that's when Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, You rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, there it is again, not by my faith, not just by me touching him, but by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom he crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. What is the secret? What is the secret? What is the key? What is the key ingredient? It is the name of Jesus. And this, this is what Peter says, and I love it. He quotes Isaiah 28 and 16, and you want to talk about rattle somebody's cage. He rattled their cage when he said this. He said, this is the stone which is set at naught of your builders, which has become the head of the corner. He quotes Isaiah, and he's quoting Jesus. Do you catch it? He's quoting Isaiah, and he's quoting Jesus. He's throwing it back into their face, and he's saying, hey, I know who this is. You know who this is. This is what you rejected, but this is the foundation, the cornerstone. This is the link. This is what we need in order to make it. Amen? Now, this is my, I love this verse. You hear me quote it a lot. If you've heard me teach or preach on, the, on baptism in Jesus' name, you've heard me talk about this. Verse 12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Okay? Now, Peter does almost an about face. He says, You think this is cool? This is how he's healed. He's healed by the name of Jesus. It's not by what I can do. It's not by my wisdom. He's healed because of the name of Jesus. Okay? He's healed by the name of Jesus. And by the name of Jesus is salvation wrought. Are you catching it? He pulls it all the way back. He comes full circle. He goes from healing to salvation. Everybody with me so far? He said, wait a minute. You think healing's cool? You need to understand salvation is what the purpose of all of this is all about. I don't know if y'all have noticed, I've got a lot of friends making statements on Facebook right now in the last two days that I've thought, why are they saying it like that? Until somebody shared an article and it hit me while they were talking about it. Fox News just did a big article. I think it came out yesterday. If, if I'm wrong, I, I, I stand to be corrected. That a priest, a Catholic priest, has just resigned because for the last... Three or four decades, he's been baptizing people incorrectly. He's changed the name. Instead of saying, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, yada, yada. He's saying, we baptize you. And the Catholic Church is saying, wait a minute, mm -mm, not going to work. And every baptism in the last, I don't know how many decades it's been, has now been made invalid because of the baptismal formula. I submit to anybody that wants to challenge me that if you are not baptized in the name of Jesus, which is neither is there salvation in any other, there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we... What? What? Must be saved. Not may be saved, but must be saved. 
Oh, this is not, like I said, the, the first century church isn't just saying, well, this is a tenet of our faith. No, my friends, this is the foundation of their faith. It is the foundation of their faith. And it should be and is the foundation of our faith. We're not, we're not just simply people who believe in the name. We should be people of the name. It should not be just something we talk about. It ought to be something that gets, like Bishop used to say, way down in our gizzard. We ought to believe this. We ought to preach this. We ought to, we ought to bleed the Jesus name message. This is what it means to be apostolic. Well, glory. Let's keep going. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled that they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. These religious elders looked at the boldness of these two fishermen and said, Wait a minute. They're unlearned and ignorant. Again, not trying to be rude. They just don't, they don't hold theology degrees. They're, 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 they're not theologians of the highest order in Jewish religion. They're just good old boys that know how to fish for a living. But oh, there was something different about these good old boys. They had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. And it caused the religious order of the day to stop and say, wait a minute, we got to do something about this. Amen. And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. People can argue our theology. People can doubt our lifestyle. People can think that we're crazy. But if they've experienced the miraculous power of God, they'll say nothing against it. Yes, people can and will argue your theology. Quit arguing theology and start showing demonstration. See, we do that. We, we go into this going, I, I got to make sure all of my, 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 my T's are crossed, my I's are dotted. I got to make sure that I'm theologically sound. And the reality is, Many of us stop and say, well, I don't know if I know enough. And because we don't want to fail and we don't want to look bad and we sure don't want to bring, bring uh, contempt onto the church or, 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 or hurt the message of Jesus Christ in any way, we, we sincerely want to give God glory, not shame. And so we just fall back because I can't teach a Bible study. My friend, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. You're allowing doctrine to tie your hand. The fear of failing over doctrine... Hey, my friend, I don't have a theology degree either, but I can tell you what I do have. I've got a relationship with Jesus. I'm going to tell you a little secret. When, when the Pentecostal movement of the 20th century blew up, began in Topeka, Kansas, it happened in a little Bible school that, had that was underfunded, understaffed, and only a few crazy students that wanted to know more about God. But God chose that little out-of-the-way Bible college in Topeka, Kansas, because they wanted more than just a degree. They wanted a demonstration. And that those folks with demonstration went to Houston and then went to, 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 to Los Angeles, California. And from there, it literally spread all over the world, this what we term as the modern Pentecostal movement. And when you get to looking at this ragtag army, you don't see guys with doctorate degrees. You see young people with a zeal and a fervor for God to do so. They had been with Jesus. 
I'm not against education. My goal, my wife and I have talked about it, I want to get my master's degree in theology. There's some things I'm pursuing. Yes, I'm looking at all of that because I want to better myself. But at the same time, may I go ahead and go on record to remind this church that revival doesn't come because your pastor's a doctorate. It'll happen because somebody says, you know what, I'm going to spend time with Jesus. I'm going to get in my prayer closet and I'm going to get a hold of the master and I'm going to spend time at the feet of the one who is the author and the finisher of my faith and I'm going to let God show up in my world. And when we do that, God will show up. Well, glory. I got to finish. I'm almost done. I promise. It looks bad, but I'm almost done. When they commanded them to stand aside of the council, they conferred among themselves saying, what shall we do with these men? That indeed a notable miracle has been done by them and it's manifest to all that dwell in Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they should speak henceforth to no man in this name. Did you catch it? We don't care if they do miracles. We don't really care what they teach. They just need to stop talking about the name. (laughs) They don't care if we teach. The world doesn't care if we do miracles. But when you start talking about the name of Jesus, it shuts down. Well, glory, I got to keep going. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. They commanded them. They, they literally command. You can preach, but don't preach anymore in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than God judge you. But we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Guys, I'm not trying to be ugly. Forgive my, uh, my, uh, my brashness, but... I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to have to speak what the Lord's given me. Because I've been with Jesus. Amen. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing, how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God and all that was done. For the man was above 40 years old on whom the miracle of healing was showed. What a mighty moment. But let's go to what the disciples do. And being let go, they went to their own company. And reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. They're in, a, they're in a, a crazy mess right now. They've been commanded. Don't speak anymore. And they've got a good face. We've got, we got to do what God tells us. But let's be honest. It's two against a multitude. So where do they go? They go back to the church. They go back to their comrades. They go back to the ones that can pray with them and for them. And when they <clears throat> heard that of all that was said they, referring to the church, lifted up their voice to God with one accord. There's that phrase again, with one accord. Not with one mindset, but with one purpose. They're with one purpose. And said, Lord, Thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and sea and all that is in the, all that in them is. Who by the mouth of Thy servant David said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? They're quoting scripture. <clears throat> the kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus whom thou hast anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before 
to be done. They're praying, Lord, we know you can do all things. And we know that the heathen rage and the, the kings of the earth stand up. We've even seen it. Pilate and Herod and all the people of God stood up against the Messiah. We saw it with our own eyes. But we also have come to the other side of that, Lord. And we recognize that they're just going to do what your counsel and your hand has already determined for them to do. Oh, this will preach right here. I've got to be careful. The truth of the matter, folks, is I know it's crazy. I know we live in a tumultuous time. I know for the last two years we've been crying about COVID. And we've been crying about all the things that have happened. I get that. I understand that. Now, post-quarantine, we're looking at it going, okay, what's the economy going to do? There's a lot of things that we're looking at questioning in our mind. What are we going to do? Let me go ahead and tell you what's going to happen. It's going to happen. What God says is going to happen. In other words, he's already wrote, written the book on this. He already knows the ending from the beginning. He's still the author and the finisher. He knows exactly how this thing's going to play out. And what happens will always be his will, not my will. I'm not going to worry because I got power. I'm a witness because Jesus is coming back. They're coming back full circle. Wait a minute. We're not going to worry about this because Jesus is coming back. Lord, we know we trust you. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. Their question, their request, their petition of God is God give us boldness and anoint us to preach your word and confirm your word with signs following. God, I want you to move. We're going to keep preaching it. We just ask that you confirm it. God, we're going, to keep, we're going to keep telling them about your name. We just ask that you would confirm it. I don't know how many times I've come to, gone to pulpits over the last two years and said, God, I'm asking you to confirm your word. I'm asking you to work. I'm asking you to move. Hey, folks, that ought to be our request. God, we're going to teach this Bible study, but confirm your word. God, we're, at, we're going to ask that one to come to church with us, but confirm your word. God, we're going to step out in faith. We're just asking you to confirm your word. We're going to keep telling and, and we're going to keep talking about it. And we're going to stay faithful. But God, we just ask that you would confirm your word. It is completely in order to ask God to confirm what he already said he would do. Amen. Amen. And the Bible says that when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. God honors praying in an apostolic manner. God honors our prayers when we ask Him to do what we cannot do. God will show up and do a mighty work. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither had any of said. Excuse me. Neither said any of them that all of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. They were unified. Again, the theme, once again, of the, of the book of Acts, the name of Jesus and unity in the church. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. I'm thankful that God would confirm his word. That's exactly what Luke is trying to get us to understand. I want you to catch this next phrase. And great grace was upon them all. He gave them power. That's where we shout. That's where we get excited. He gave us power. We can lay hands on the sick and we can see God confirm his word. But notice what happens. He also gave them great grace. You want to know why? 
You want to know why that statement's in, why I believe that statement's in there? Because with great power comes mistakes, trial runs, trial and error. Amen. But when great power shows up and it's done correctly, the grace of God will cover. I'm not trying to get out of my notes or get out of order here, but I want to say this very quickly. I would rather you make mistakes, as a pastor, I would rather you make mistakes trying to see God move than sit there like a bump on a pickle and not do anything. If you'll trust me, if you'll trust me as your pastor, I'm going to help you grow in power. And I say that because I got people in my life that are helping me grow in power. That I call up and say, hey, I'm facing this situation or I'm, I'm feeling this in my spirit and I really don't understand it. Can you help me a little bit? And they help walk me through it. Amen? Because with great power, there's going to be mistakes. But that's why we have grace. Amen? I'll give you guidance. I'll help you. I'll lead you. I promise. I'm not going to make a fool of you. But understand that there is a balance between power and grace. Amen? Well, glory. I hope I didn't mess you up there. Neither was there, the Bible says, among them any that lacked. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought prices of things that were sold, laid them down at the apostles' feet. Distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joseph, who by the apostles were surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite and of the country of Cyprus, having sold land, brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Two things stick out in this last closing moments of chapter 4. They are transitioning into a greater dimension of revival. They have the name of Jesus. They have been given power and grace. But they also have two things that they had to provide. God gave them the power. God gave them the grace. God gave them His name. But they had to provide these two things. And that was unity and sacrifice. Unity and sacrifice. The church, the apostolic church, must learn how to be unified and how to sacrifice. We must be together in unity and in sacrifice. The apostolic church is more than a building. It's unity and sacrifice. And we can preach power and grace all day long, but the flip side of power and grace is unity and sacrifice. People came into the church and said, you know what? I want to belong to something that's bigger than me. They began to be unified with the body and they began to sacrifice. That's why. You want to know why we, why we support and why we push missions and why we push giving to things like move the mission and save our children and why we do all of that? It's not to get number one in the district or the top giver in the section or get accolades from the organization. It's so that you and I can be a part of the mission of the church. It is about you. Unity and sacrifice. It's about unity and sacrifice. Sometimes it's dollar sacrifice. Sometimes it's time sacrifice. Sometimes it's talent sacrifice. But we learn how to be unified and we sacrifice. And that's when God can show up. Church, I want to be apostolic. I want to know Him. 
Would you stand with me all over this building and would you lift your hands? Would you ask God to let his word find root in your heart?